welcome to Rome Cooney Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Starting in verse 42, read with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Will you pray with me? God, thank you again that we could come together. We look at your word. Um, we desire to be students of your word, but not just to have knowledge, but to know you, to be in awe of you. God, as we look even in the book of Acts and we see the beginnings of the church, uh, help us to see the connection that this is family history too. And even more so that it's all because of who Jesus is and what we're called to do to proclaim the gospel to this world. And so stir within us, Lord, that heart. We ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and clarity and even conviction. God, we ask that you would do a work in us today as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I know I've shared with you in the past about going to the eye doctor, but more recently, my wife said, John, I'm going to schedule another eye appointment. And again, I think it's because she's, oh, I always say, I can't find this. But I was chuckling because she scheduled me first. And I'm like, is it because of this? And she was quiet. And I'm like, it is, huh? <laughs> and, and I had a, now at that point, I wanted to prove something. I wanted her to say, I wanted her to know that my eyesight is actually pretty good. And so I go in and, you know, they do the whole test. You know, they look to see if you have any stigmatisms and then, you know, as they're talking, they're looking for other things. And then, and then he's like, can you read this with your left eye closed? And how about now with your right? How which the smallest font you could read? And, and he's like, your eyesight's good. And I said, can I record that so I can share that with my wife? <laughs> but the thing with glasses is that they're helped to what? Correct your vision if your vision's wrong. Glasses help you to see with clarity when before you didn't have it. Glasses help to bring things to um, your viewpoint to say, oh, that's what I need to see. Well, the Gospel works like lenses for our soul because we've been living a life of sin that's not reflective of the heart change that the Gospel does in us. And so how we view things, how we think about things, what we do is reflective of that nature. But the Gospel, as a because of Christ, through His perfect life, His sacrificial death, His glorious resurrection, how He came to save sinners, it changes us. That's why the Bible says, "Those therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new... And so as you're this new creature, this new creation, the old is gone, there is this change in you. And so you have this lens, if you will, that now you see with clarity how before you did it. You're able to see with clarity and how we're called to live this life. 
The book of Acts is a display of that clarity, the gospel clarity that's happening and seeing the change that takes place. The title of this message is The Gospel-Driven Church because Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 really is known as this is the church and this is what they did. But before we look at this section, just a recap because uh, if you're anything like me taking a break, you tend to forget, what did I just learn or what is it going on? And granted, we're only in chapter 2, so there's not a lot to have to go over. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you want to turn there or if you know this passage, you're familiar with it. But this is the premise of the book of Acts right here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, everything kind of flows from this. Luke is... Uh, the author, this is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. He intended for them to be read kind of back to back. And I don't know if anyone has done that yet. You read Luke and then Acts back to back. But I want to encourage you to do so. And let me give you even a stronger push. Do it in one sitting. Oh, you think I have all day? I want you to make time. You could read the book of Acts, well, depending on your speed, but an hour to two hours, depending. But... I want to encourage you to do that. And then the extra challenge, read Luke and Acts in one sitting. Get a gold star, anyone does that next week. Okay. <laughs> but Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, what's that word? Witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So sometimes we highlight the power that's given, the Holy Spirit's coming, which is, Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the call is to be what? The witness. And the witness is local, regional, global. Um, we see that being kind of shown throughout the book of Acts as we read it. The Holy Spirit comes. As the Holy Spirit comes, guess what starts right away? What comes, we read this in chapter 2. Holy Spirit came upon them, and what was the next thing we read? Peter did what? He gave a sermon, and it was being a witness. And then it's in Jerusalem, and then it goes to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the great thing about the book of Acts is that as it ends, it doesn't just end. This is the beginning of the church, and it is reflective for us today because guess what? We're still called to be witnesses the believer has received the holy spirit and as we're called to be witnesses where are we called to be witnesses at well everywhere our jerusalem is right here in whatcom county our judea could be even going into the county and beyond regionally or a state our samaria we could think about even like nationally and then globally we're called to do both and so as we see the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, they started, we get a glimpse, if you will, of what the church did. And I'll be honest, sometimes as a pastor, I want more. Like, give me details here. Like, you're giving me what the, some things they did. They prayed and they did the Lord's Supper and they spent time together and they were generous. But, like, walk me through a service. Like, tell me what they did, A, B, and C. Like, I love that kind of structure so I can say, that's what I got to do. But the Bible gives us something bigger than that kind of structure. It gives us the principles or the foundations. This is what mattered. The priorities. 
And in one sense, it has given me everything that I need to do as a pastor and everything that we're called to do as a church, the priorities. And that's what we're going to look at today because the church is more than a building. The church is made up of what? People, believers coming together. It's been defined as that the church is the people of God who have been saved through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and have been incorporated into His body through baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I will beat this drum forever. The church, it's not about me, it's we. It's you and I. It's how we live life, not just on Sundays, but every day together. That we're called as brothers and sisters in the Lord to be mindful of one another. That, that's why when we gather together, we should be mindful of who's with us and who's not with us. That we're mindful of the needs and we be able to lift up one another. That we're able to bear one another's burdens and we rejoice with one another. The church. Why it matters that it's not just, hey, I did this. No, it's like every day we're mindful of one another because we're family. And so as we look at this and reflect, uh, I love the simplicity of it because if you notice, it's not about gimmicks. It's not about events. It's about these priorities that focus on who God is and what He's all about. And that's what we're called to do. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, we see that the Gospel changes us. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves. The word devoted means to prioritize or it can be defined as it's intense effort with the possible implication despite difficulty to go forward. To be persistent. To persist in something. Have you ever persisted in something? That despite how difficult it was, you're like, I'm finishing this. And then you hit one difficulty after another, but you're like determined. That's the, what that means to be devoted. That they were determined or prioritized in these areas. I think of different aspects like athletes who persist in training even when it's difficult but they do it because of the aspect of the sport that they love and wanting to win the competition i think of a soldier despite the difficulty that takes place in training but it's to survive and to be a better soldier i think in my own life though i haven't had to do much difficult things but the one thing that took place in my life is i tore my acl meniscus playing soccer a few years ago and that was hard not just because it was painful in that moment, but because the recovery was so hard. If you have ever had to have a major like uh, a joint replacement surgery or something like that, you would understand. But after surgery, I'm thinking like, okay, you fixed me, I'm better. And they're like, you have to go to this thing called physical therapy or torture. That's what some people call it. And so I went in the first day and I'm feeling like not better. Like I knew my knee was sore, but I'm like, okay, maybe this is just going to be like, let's talk through and what I could do. And like, we want you to get on a bike. And I'm like, bike? Yeah, there's no tension. Don't worry. Just do the rotation. I'm like, this is easy. I could ride a bike. And so I get on and I get my leg up there and then turning it. Oh, that was hard. And then I started getting frustrated because I'm like, why is this so hard? And then I was determined. I said, I'm going to do this through the difficulty because I wanted to, guess what? Be able to say, I can turn or rotate a bicycle. Like I wanted to be able to do the pedals with my feet. 
I wanted to be able to play soccer again and run. And it was during a time that Jackson just started walking. I'm like, I want to be able to walk with him. You know, like, so there was this determination to say, let's do this, even though this isn't fun, this is painful. And so the church knew that this was going to be difficult. They knew that, hey, things were changing, that they were going to probably face persecution, that they knew things were there, but they devoted themselves, they persisted in because of the priority of this is all about God and who He is. We love God. And so the motivation was because of God and His glory. So what were they devoted to? Well, first, it says the apostles' teaching. As the apostles taught, they taught the Old Testament. It would be taught in the local synagogue or in the temple. And as we have the New Testament, it's the reflection of what they taught to these different churches. And so it was shared and it was applied. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Or we could look at it as we need to be devoted to God's Word. God's Word is more than life lessons because it points to the author of life, Jesus. That's why the Word of God is active and living It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Here's a, call it the pastor-dad joke right here, but I said it's more than a manual to follow. It points to Emmanuel, who is the shepherd king. So, anyway, I told my wife, she said, you need to clarify. So, anyway. But God's Word, it's... God's Word, it's called that for a reason. God has spoken. It's authoritative because of the author. We could trust God's Word because of the author. And so if it's authoritative, it's trustworthy, it's true, what does that mean for us? I guess if you were going to be devoted to something as a Christian, shouldn't it be God's Word? And I don't say that to guilt you. I just think of that more in my mindset like, oh yeah, that's a no-brainer. If this is God's Word, it speaks of His heart and His will. If it points to who He is, then maybe I should be all about it because I love God and I want to know Him better. And I say that because there's times though that it doesn't always reflect that in our lives, right? And we almost need to rethink this. Like, oh, what am I called to be devoted to? Well, the things of who God is because of Christ. That's what I need to do. That's why it's important for, in my position to say, let's teach God's Word because what I have to say on my own means nothing, but God's Word is authority. And so let me just point you to God's Word and what it says. Because I, I believe that if we're off on this, then everything else will trickle off and be wrong. If you're off on this and what discipleship even looks like and how you disciple will be off. If you're off on this and you talk about missions, then your missionology will be off. If you're off on this, even like the concept of what we're called to do, evangelism will be off. And that's why God's Word matters. That's why God's Word should be something that's foundational for not only us and what we do on Sunday, but every day in our lives, God's Word matters. We need to be devoted to God's Word. Next, they were devoted to fellowship. The Greek word here is koinonia, and it's the harmonious unity of believers. Uh, It it means like partnering or sharing together. It's coming alongside one another. 
And sometimes we look at fellowship as coming together like, um, hey, we have a church gathering or church potluck. And yes, fellowship can happen in those moments. But the mindset is something deeper than just, hey, we had this gathering at this specific time. It's walking alongside with one another, even if you're not in the same room. Like we're mindful of one another, but yet also we love joining together in person. It's both and. It's having that, that mindset that we are together. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who uh, is known for his theology, ethics, and his resistance to Nazi Germany, he wrote a book called Life Together, and it's about the Christian community. And he defines it this way, that is clear as Christian means, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and, Je- and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it is brief or a single encounter or daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one one another only through and in Jesus Christ. So because of being a believer, he's saying we have this fellowship because we're in Christ. We have this union. And so we desire to live that out then. That we're longing to say, hey, we're doing this together. The phrase like is known in the Christian language like we do life together. It's meaning like, hey, it's more than just gathering together on Sunday. It's we're invested in one another. That's what it means. It's not a superficial time together. It's more than that. And yes, let me tell you, you can have fun together. You can enjoy each other's company. You get to talk about life and what God is doing. You get to celebrate the things that He's doing. And you also get to bear one another's burdens. It's both and. It involves having meals together, getting coffee together, or even just fishing together. I got my fishing license, by the way. So, <laughs> But if you read verses 45 and 46, we see a display really of their fellowship or the level of their fellowship, this koinonia. It says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So we see this, there was this gathering together and this sharing together that they ate together. It was both and. And that involved pointing to God in His glory. You know what I love? Is that we can have fellowship with one another even though we may not have a lot of common interests because we have the greatest interest together is Christ. So as you talk about things that I have no idea about, I could say, but yet we're still in fellowship because of Jesus and that's greater than. That's what I love. Not only were they devoted to teaching and to fellowship, which they persisted in fellowship, meaning that there's work, but it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This was the Lord's Supper that they persisted in. They were constantly reminding themselves, this is what Jesus did for us, which communion is that time. That Lord's Supper is for us to reflect and to remember on Jesus' life, His death, and His resurrection, His sacrifice. The church is distinct from the world. And one of the ways that we show that is through the ordinances or baptism in the Lord's Supper. Those are signs pointing to say, hey, we're distinct. Baptism is showing that there's the outward showing of that inward grace that was received, that someone is born again or they're that believer. And so they're demonstrating that change through baptism. The Lord's Supper is a sign saying, hey, we are reminding ourselves that we do this because of who? Jesus and what He did for us. And so we're called to do it often so they devoted themselves to the teaching of god's word 
to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And what was the last one there in verse 42? Prayers. The early church prayed. They didn't just pray as individuals. They prayed as a group or a church or corporately. Do you remember what they were doing when they're waiting for the Holy Spirit in chapter 1? Verse 14 says they were devoting themselves to prayer. The word devoting was used again. They devoted themselves to prayer. So this was something that they were all about. They persisted in. The church prayed in chapter 1, verses 24 through 25 on who would replace Judas and be the 12th disciple. In Acts chapter 3, they prayed for the man who could not walk at the temple, which we'll look at next week. In Acts chapter 4, the church prayed for God's intervention from the external pressure. In Acts chapter 6, they prayed uh, their prayer belonged to the fundamental priorities of the leadership of the church. Chapter 8, they prayed as the gospel went out to Samaria and for the Holy Spirit. In chapter 9, we see conversion linked to the or prayer linked to the conversion of Saul. Chapter 12, the church prayed for the release of Peter from prison. That's not even half of the book. Do you see that prayer is significant? And it's not just for the early church. Prayer is significant for us today, or it should be. It's everything that they did. William Taylor defined prayer this way. Prayer includes not only a request for mercies, but it denotes the address of a creature on earth to God in heaven about everything that concerns his God, neighbor, or himself in this world or the world to come. It's casting everything before him because creator God knows everything. It's us not just communicating with him, but understanding that he is sovereign and in charge. It's us saying, Lord, we want your will to be done. Change my heart to reflect that. It's, it's surrendering. It's submitting to him. Prayer is worship. And we're called to pray without ceasing. We're called to have prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, but letting your requests be made known to God. We're praying always with the prayer and supplication, Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the spiritual battles that we face. Prayer is foundational. This is what we're called to do. And there's a cycle that takes place with prayer as we pray to god we also get to rejoice in him because we know that he not only hears us but he's god he hears us and he responds and we see the response through his word like god we get to approach his throne of grace boldly because of jesus and so there's this joy that comes from it one of the things that i love is that we can pray and let me encourage you as we look to God's Word and as we have fellowship with one another and we have the time of the Lord's Supper together, may we constantly be a church that prays. And not just individually, which you can, and I hope you do, and you pray for the saints and all the prayer requests that go on. But I also want to encourage you to try to make the times that we have prayer together. Because that's really where we're uniting and having that fellowship in that mindset too. Whereas before church, and I know it's a little early, but when we gather at eight and pray, and we're praying for it specifically at this moment, but also for the needs of our church, but God would continue to do great things, that because He's great and awesome, that He would move hearts, that these callous hearts or these, when we get apathetic, that He'd move us, that we'd be that mindset. Or 
as men when we pray on Wednesdays uh, once a month that we're praying for our county and what he's doing or or when we have special gatherings for prayer let me encourage you long for those moments because it's more than just i'm praying it's we're uniting together in that moment but we would we'd be a church that prays that was all just point number one number two write this down the the witness of the gospel it says that awe came upon every uh, all the believers and many signs were done through the apostles the word awe i don't know why but i i like saying that because it it's one of the words that when you say it, it's like what it like you go ah you know it's one of those words and but it's a reflection of god because truly the only one who's truly awesome is who god and so this is a reflection of who God is, that there was this awe because they were just, wow, God, you are awesome. And so the awe fell upon them because they were thinking about who God is. Luke is highlighting the effect of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit had on the believers in Jerusalem. It's interesting, the, the verb that he uses to describe this awe was continual, meaning it wasn't just this one-time moment, but awe was continual. There's this continual awe they, they had towards God. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you had this awe yourself? That you were just been in awe of who God is? That you're just thinking like, maybe it's looking at creation. You're like, man, God, you're awesome. You created this by just speaking. Or maybe it's that moment that you're just reflecting. You're like in awe of God because he loves you yet you know that you're undeserving of His love for you. And that you're just captivated by His grace that He's poured out freely, that because of Christ that you can say, Lord, I know You, and yet I get to be Your son or Your daughter. I get to be brought into this family, not because of anything I did, but all because of what Jesus has done. Uh, this awe is an aspect of worship that just grabs your attention. See, the whole giving of the Holy Spirit who is the helper was to empower the church to be a witness of the Gospel. And they're seeing the effects of this. They're saying, wow, the Holy Spirit came and look at we get to be the witness and there's fruit of this. And they were captivated by saying, God, everything you said was going to happen that Jesus said did happen, but look what's going on. And there was this awe. And not only was there this awe of who God was, but we see the work being done through the, Holy, or through the apostles by the Holy Spirit that the many wonders and signs were healings, reflections of who God is. And ultimately, the world watches and sees this. And that's where I remind myself, like, do people, outsiders, do they see that, man, I have this awe towards God and His goodness? Do they see that? Uh, do they see that just by my countenance or how I live my life that, there's this, that God is real and that I'm in awe of who He is? Does, does it show that there's this genuine Christian life that's reflective of a worshipful life, that we're called to have our hearts towards God in the act of worship? Does my life reflect that how I, how I live and how I speak, that it points to that? But there was this awe. So there's the witness of the Gospel by it was being reflected by how they were. Number three, the Gospel is at work in community. We looked at this, but they were they all who believed were together, meaning they spent time together, and they had all things in common. 
there was this understanding of saying, hey, what, mine, what is mine, I want to share with you. If there's a need, what is your need? How can we as a church meet that need? How can we bear one another's burdens? It was a reflection of that. And so they sold their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. As I mentioned that the Gospel changes us, and we have these lenses, and it changes how we think and how we live. It also changes how we interact with our stuff. We go from mine to saying, actually, this is God's, and I'm called to be a steward of this. Uh, it changes even how we work and saying, Lord, uh, You've given me the ability to work. I want to glorify You with this ability. Uh, it changes how employers are with their employees. It changes everything. It changes how I am as a husband and as a father. It changes how I am because that's the Gospel work in us and through us. And what does that change? What does that look like? We're being sanctified more and more to reflect Christ. That's the Gospel work in us. And so as they knew that they had all things in common, they gave willingly and freely, pointing to their generous hearts, that those that had property or possessions either sold it or used it for the church to help one another. This is the fellowship that you need to have driven by the gospel and look at the church working. I think about that in a practical sense and what came to my mind was just even last week. We had people who used their property that said, how would you like some vegetable starts or dahlia tubers? Tubular. Okay, dahlia tubulars. (laughs) And said, We'd like to bless you. Or maybe I'm reflecting even in a personal sense of we'd like to have and bring you food or have you over for dinner. Or what do you need? And it's not just me personally, but I see that happening with one another. Hey, I'm in need of this or can you help me with this? Some of you may say, well, I have a strong back but a weak mind and so you'll do some hard work. Some of you say, well, I'm good at baking or I'm good at making food or I'm good at this or making a blanket or whatever the case may be. But what that is showing is, hey, what I have, I want to use that and bless other people for the common good. Some have been maybe blessed financially and saying, hey, I may not be able to do these other things, but I could give these resources. Some of it may be saying, oh, I have this place and I want to be used in this way. Whatever the case may be, that's really what the church was doing, saying, hey, we're in this together because it's not about me, it's we, it's us together. We're called to be generous givers. Second Corinthians chapter 9 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace bound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So Paul's writing saying, hey, we're called to just, hey, what God has placed upon your heart, give freely, give generously. But you want to know the premise? He ends that chapter with this, but thanks be to God for His indescribable gift meaning the the one who outgives us all is pointing to christ the perfect gift the sacrifice and so the motivation of why we go forward and give is the saying lord it's because i've received the greatest gift and so whether you bless me with my hands or my mind or whatever the case may be let it be a blessing to other people and as we serve guess what happens 
As we give, guess what happens? The attention turns off ourselves and onto others. And so it changes us. That's what it looks like. And then lastly, number four, the gospel grows us. Uh, day by day, attending the temple together, which there was a Solomon's portico in the temple and they would gather. They would, they would be able to discuss things about not just God's Word, but that's where they met. It was a gathering place. But notice where also they gathered. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was this having food or a meal together. The breaking of bread was talking about, hey, you're sharing food, you're eating together. And there's something special about that. Because I don't know if you noticed, but on a Sunday morning, it's hard to have some deep conversations, or at least it is for me, where I'm like, hi, bye, hi, bye, and you're moving, you're leaving, and you're like, ah, but when you have a meal together, guess what that does? It forces you to stop and you get to say, hey, we're together, we're in this presence that we get to talk now, we're not rushing. And so that's why he's saying, like, look, they spent time together, there's this interaction with believers that happen on a daily basis. It was the striving to be outside of the church or inside the church. They wanted to be together. Now, I'm blessed, I think, in my position that I get to interact with believers on a daily basis. I get to work with Mike and Jackie and Brett. I get to see you guys. I, I get this interaction, which is great, but I know not everyone has that, that um, opportunity. Some are like, man, I don't know if I have any believers that are around me at my workplace. Well, I don't know about this, and that's hard. And I don't know if you've ever seen yourself, but if you've maybe been away from other believers or from the church for a time, man, you find yourself kind of like getting to this place where you may start compromising a little bit or you might start complaining or grumbling or drifting. There's something special that happens in the fellowship with other believers. Guess what that is? We get to point each other to who? The Lord. And there's joy that comes from it. It says they received it all, the food and everything, with glad and generous hearts. They're praising God and having favor with the people. This was like, hey, this is good because we're encouraging one another. We long to be with one another. It's pointing out there's, there's this interaction that's important for the Christian community. And as a result, we also see that the Lord added to the church. Church, we get to have the joy and privilege of when we meet together, we get to worship the Lord together. But it doesn't happen just here in this moment. It happens and can happen every day. That not only do we have that joy that we get to see that, we also get to praise God for what He's doing as we gather together. See, a genuine gospel church, a driven, gospel-driven church grows. And this growth can happen numerically, but also it should happen, and this is what matters, is in depth. Spiritual depth. Because there could be some things that shrink that are healthy. Like, for example, if you eat healthy and exercise, hopefully you shrink. But there's also some things that can grow that aren't good, like cancer. But as a healthy church, is, Lord, we want to grow in depth and reach the lost. He's the one that adds to the church. He's the one that does the work. We're just called to be obedient. As I mentioned, these are the foundations or the principles that they, they live by. Today, as we look at this passage, we see that's aimed at the church and the priorities of the church. But it would be a loss to say why. Why did they do everything that's mentioned here? It's because of Jesus. 
It's because of the gospel. Because the disciples, the followers of Christ in that moment realized that the one who died for them and rose again and went to heaven, who told them that the Holy Spirit's going to come as a helper, they're called to be witnesses. And what are they a witness to? Jesus, his perfect, sinless life, who died for sinners like you and me. We are called to be witnesses to saying, I know the one who loves me so that gave his life for me, who died, and yet, let me tell you, Jesus is alive. So the question is, you could say, well, that's the early church, and that's what they were excited, things were new. Well, let me ask you this. Let's think about this. They received the Holy Spirit, right? Do believers today receive the Holy Spirit? Yes. Uh, what were they a witness to? Jesus is alive. Is Jesus alive today? Yes. So the same is true for you and I, just like it is for the early church. We're called to be witnesses. You can't be a witness unless you don't know Him. And I'm so thankful for God's grace that says, hey, those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a reflection of belief, faith in Jesus, that man, He loves you, He died for you, and you're putting your faith or trust in Him, but it's also repenting or turning from sin. And those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's that promise or that declaration of those who are in Christ because of what Jesus has done. We're saved by grace through faith, not of our own works. Will you pray with me, church? God, thank you for your word and the reminder, the reminder for me, but also for every single one of us that we as a church, that we would desire to have the gospel penetrate deep in our lives. That's that lens that changes how we live and how we think and how we interact with one another. God, there's a lot that we looked at in your word and Lord, we want to apply it to our lives. And I think about even the big pictures, Lord, let us be devoted to your word. Let us be devoted to one another in fellowship and reminding ourselves the greatness of Jesus and his life and his death and resurrection. Uh, Lord, help us to be devoted in prayer as men and women who love you and want to talk to you. But as the same truth was said for the first century church, it's true for us today. The believers received the Holy Spirit and were called to be witnesses. So Lord, help us to do that as we go forward, as we have the Holy Spirit to empower us so we could be bold witnesses. And God, if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus, as the Bible says, those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved that they would do so. That they know that they're so loved by you. That Jesus died on the cross, yet he did nothing wrong. He did not sin and yet took on the sin of the world through his death so that we could be forgiven and found righteous in you. And as Jesus died, He rose again three days later, which showing that He is alive, He conquered sin and death. And so yes, we could call on His name because He's our victorious King. And so I pray for those that don't know You, would today, that they would leave here reminded, reminded of Your love for them, that they could turn from their sin and follow You, the assurance that they have in You, you bless everyone God thank you for your faithfulness and goodness not just today but as we leave here that your word would continue on through our minds and we live it out boldly that we reflect upon this God thank you we ask these things in Jesus name amen 
Thank you for listening, and if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.